Welcome to Global Dispatches. This is your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. There's a tragedy unfolding in the Mediterranean Sea that I don't think is getting the attention it deserves. Migrants are dying en masse trying to leave North Africa for Europe, specifically the Italian island of Lampedusa, which is not too far from the Libyan coast. Last year, 3,500 people died trying to make this journey, and this week there's news of yet another tragedy. Some 300 people are believed to be missing at sea. And what makes this tragedy all the more problematic is that it's probably avoidable. The Italian Navy used to hold search and rescue operations, which were very successful, and which we're going to talk about in this episode coming up. But those operations have ceased, and now you have a situation where more and more migrants are trying to make the journey to Lampedusa, and there are fewer and fewer assets available to rescue them when they run into trouble, which they do often because the boats they're traveling on are not necessarily seaworthy vessels. Here with me to discuss this problem is John Dalhusen of Amnesty International. We kick off talking about this latest incident in which people are missing at sea, and we discuss Italy and Europe's policy response to this new wave of migration via the Mediterranean Sea to Europe. And again, I think this is a great conversation, very timely. I don't know how much play this is getting in the European press. I know that it is not a subject that you hear often in the mainstream media here in the United States, but it's absolutely a human rights catastrophe on Europe's doorstep. So here he is, John Dalhusen of Amnesty International. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I mean, the, the things we know uh, at this stage is that uh, 29 people from one particular overloaded uh, boat were, were, were rescued and, and died uh, of hypothermia subsequently. Uh, there are believed to be two boats, two further boats uh, that sunk with uh, around a hundred uh, on each, or with nine survivors subsequently picked up. And it's still unclear, although some are saying that there was also a third vessel which has disappeared without trace, which sounds at this stage likely, uh, but remains as yet unconfirmed. So that's the, 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 the scale, the, the, the shocking scale of the, the tragedy as it, as it appears at the moment. Um, can you put, I guess, this latest tragedy in, in broader context? I mean, I know last year there were over 200,000 uh, migrants crossing the Mediterranean, mostly to Italy, uh, a number of whom, something like 3,500 died. What... what has the international community been doing to try to help these migrants, try to avoid tragedies like, like what just happened uh, this week? Well, little, 
at, at the moment is the is is the short answer for the quasi entirety of last year. The Italian government was using its navy as a a, a search and rescue. Uh, service provider running those services right up to Libyan territorial waters at a relatively high cost, so nine million euros a month, uh, but but rescuing comfortably in excess of a hundred thousand people over that time period. Uh, and despite that very significant outlay and their best efforts to give them credit, we still saw record numbers of, of deaths in the central Mediterranean. And just to put that in, into context, it's about one in 50 people getting on a boat in Libya drowned or died during the course of the, the journey. I mean, that makes it uh, that route by some margin the most dangerous in, in, in the world. Um, that operation was terminated at the end of last year. Why is under that? Very, under very significant pressure from other European governments who were castigating it for its pull factor effects. So they were arguing, I think somewhat disingenuously, that this operation was encouraging more people to take to the seas, which was both increasing migratory pressure and inflow, which was politically undesirable, but then also resulting in the multiplication of, of deaths. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't so, they have a point there, though. I mean, this this Italian naval search and rescue operation seems to be very effective, uh, as you said, rescuing over 100,000 people. Uh, I mean, it, it was it was it was quite effective, like I say, and it was effective in reducing uh, a death rate. Uh, so in that respect, it was successful, but overall numbers of deaths obviously increased. The, the numbers making the crossing was, was you know, a very significant increase. Um, the, the statistics don't bear that argument out. The, if one compares like-for-like -like statistics of irregular migrant arrivals in Italy by sea, in the first month of this year was the first month of last year. Last year being a month in which Operation Mare Nostrum, the Italian operation, was up and running, uh, and it ended in December. In there's been a sixty percent increase in the numbers of uh, migrants taking the sea route in the month after the operation stopped, and its stopping was widely publicised. Everyone knows that it has stopped. Migrants know it stopped, smugglers know it stopped, everyone knows it stopped. But the numbers of those arriving have increased, which is to say that the push factors driving migrants, uh, asylum seekers, migrants and refugees to take this route far, far, far outweigh any possible pull factor that that operation might have had. So there are more migrants January 2015 when there was no Italian search and rescue operation uh, than there were last year at this time when there was a search and rescue operation. 60% more. Those are UNHCR statistics. Yeah. Um, so what sort of um, operations are there in the sea to, to help uh, the situation? I mean, I know that there is some sort of European Union uh, operation, correct? There is, a, there is a fig leaf operation uh, in place at the moment. It's called Triton. This is a... a 
primarily actually a border control operation run by an agency that is essentially a border control agency, an EU agency, uh, that deploys a number of member state assets in, in patrolling the territorial waters of Italy. Uh, how does this compare to Operation Mare Nostrum, the Italian naval operation? Uh, it is significantly reduced in number of assets. It's significantly reduced in the area that it is covering. So it does not extend throughout the entirety of the Italian and multi-search and rescue areas and in international waters, whilst the, the Italian naval operation was. Uh, and its mandate is not, strictly speaking, a search and rescue mandate either. So it's reduced in mandate, area covered and, and volume of assets. And it's really a pretty simple equation. You know, more migrants coming, less search and rescue services provided, more deaths at sea. And that equation will, will sadly, tragically continue for so long as Europe offers fig leaf solutions to 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 tragic human problems. And, and it seems that this most recent tragedy is probably an indicator of where we're going to go unless something changes, right? Well, very much so. Unless Europe takes its 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 collective and shared responsibility to to minimize, I and mean, I don't think anyone can ever realistically hope to to prevent all of them, but at least to to minimize those those deaths. These will continue, and they will continue as a consequence of a series of very deliberate policies. These are not unfortunate tragedies that no one can do anything about. The migratory pressure through that route is, in very significant measure, also a byproduct of broader components of an EU-wide migration policy that's seen land borders, the Greece, Bulgaria, Turkey, and, and Spain, Morocco, and the Spanish enclaves, sealed off with, with fences, cooperation agreements with third countries preventing people from, from accessing those borders, pushing the most desperate and the most vulnerable onto this this sea route the rise in those those of those making the central mediterranean journey correlates pretty closely with the decrease in numbers previously taking land routes uh, that's as a result of an, an eu-wide policy approach uh, so that the the northern eu countries determined to minimize migratory flows have a responsibility for the numbers increasingly taking dangerous routes and have a responsibility to, to assist in providing services to southern Mediterranean countries that are, are on their own incapable of providing these in the long run. Um, so the latest data from the UN Refugee Agency uh, indicates that the by far the, the single largest group of migrants taking that sea route to Lampedusa are Syrians, something like 22%. Uh, are Syrians. Um, can you, I guess, describe what, what does that journey look like from Syria to Lampedusa, which uh, I guess if people don't know is an island that's Italian territory that's not too far off the coast of Libya, so it's a popular destination. How is that journey taken? Uh, there, there are a number of different routes. There are there are land routes that that some take uh, like across Egypt, Jordan to Egypt to Libya, to Libya. Exactly, from from camps there. Uh, a number have previously and until till recently flown to to Algeria and crossed the border to Libya from there. Um, that's no longer possible as as Libya is no longer offering visa free travel to to Syrians. Uh, 
those that was in any case only really available to those who had passports. Uh, those who didn't were taking were taking land routes in the hands of, of smugglers. <coughs> there are very different you know, price lists for 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 what this all costs, including the the boat journey. Uh, but it runs into the several thousands of of dollars. Uh, it it's. Uh, often a, a, a very fraught relationship between smuggled and, and smuggler. I mean, the smuggler is, is you know, providing a service on the one hand, but also has a, a lucrative financial interest that doesn't put in any way the safety uh, and welfare of, of those smuggling and those paying for that service at, at, its, at its core. I mean, they're very happy to, to put them... Uh, including their stories at, at, at gunpoint into clearly overcrowded boats uh, at night, on the sea, in bad weather. I mean, they're pretty unscrupulous people making an awful lot of money out of this, out of this trade and putting an awful lot of people's lives at, at risk. That's certainly um, you know, a part of the story that it's, that it's important to focus on as well. Um, so say a, uh, a migrant successfully makes it to uh, Lampedusa, what are the next steps? Like, what what becomes of this uh, migrant? Uh, well, it, it would depend to some extent who, who they were. I mean, and and kind of when when they would have got there. I mean, the how the Italians were essentially playing it for a, a large period of time whilst Operation Mare Nostrum was was in place, and this was one of the things that contributed to other European countries being a little bit cross with it. Uh, was that the the Italian authorities would rescue people, deposit them on Italian territory, and turn a blind eye to their to their onward travel. Uh, in in breach of of obligations under the the Dublin Conventions regulating the internal movements of of migrants and irregular migrants in in particular. Uh, they have since uh, in the last few months been much more assiduous in in fingerprinting and and uh, trying to to keep irregular migrants arriving in and processing claims and asylum applications in in Italian reception slash detention centers the conditions of which are are, are frankly not great uh, so basically the migrants were landing in Italy and being sent along and to wherever they wanted to go uh, essentially was, was how yes they would they would get on trains and they would they would Cross over into to Switzerland, Austria, and, and make their onward journeys as best they could to the destinations they had in mind. Uh, that that's not happening on the nearly the same scale anymore. Uh, and and as I say, Italy is making an attempt to to fingerprint uh, those those arriving, uh, if not necessarily detaining all of them. But in principle, then those that make an onward journey are. Uh, intercepted at, at borders or elsewhere in other European countries are then susceptible to being sent back to Italy. Um, would you say, uh, or is it possible to determine whether or not most of the migrants that have come over over the last few years are primarily economic migrants or people kind of fleeing uh, violence and political persecution? I mean, you gave the the twenty two percent statistic of, of of Syrian refugees. Not far behind them are are Eritreans. There are also quite a high proportion of of Afghan, Iraqi, Somali, and uh, I mean, of 
those from countries that the UNHCR would recognize migrants coming from as you know, a prima facie good claim to refugee status. It's a little over 50% uh, from, from those countries alone. Then there'll be others and the remaining 50% from countries in which there may yet be good reason why, why individuals may be claiming asylum from sub-Saharan African countries as well. So I think it's safe to say that, that the majority, a sizable majority, of those making this journey are refugees and bona fide asylum seekers. <coughs> the remaining proportion, probably around 40%, are, are economic migrants. So I suppose that suggests then that until these push factors like the conflict in Syria or instability in sub-Saharan Africa or the Horn of Africa uh, are taken care of, we can expect to see these numbers continue to to you know be as sizable as they are now. Yeah, I don't think there's much cause for optimism that 2015 will see a reduction in the migratory pressures on, on Europe. Far uh, from it. For the foreseeable future, we're going to continue to see plenty, uh, similar numbers, if not more numbers, arriving. I think one might add to that the numbers who have been willing to remain for for a period of time in, in camps in Jordan, in Lebanon, in, in Turkey, uh, in the hope of being able to return to Syria, progressively abandoning that hope and, and thinking that, well, that in the long run, a place in a camp isn't much, isn't, isn't, isn't that great. Uh, let's see if I can make a, a life somewhere else. So th there's, the, there's a kind of a delayed lag of Syrian refugees that I think one can expect to seek to make in a, a journey in, in the coming year, years. Uh, well, John, thank you so much for explaining this all. This was uh, very helpful and uh, it just hasn't gotten the, I think, media attention it deserves, at least here in the United States. But uh, one suspects that as these tragedies keep happening, more attention might get paid. So thank you. Very much, Hepsi. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Thank you to John Delhusen for speaking to me. And if you're new to the podcast, this is a pretty good example of what I try to do every Thursday, which is post a shorter conversation with an expert, journalist, or think tank type about something topical and in the news. And every Monday, I have longer conversations that are not necessarily news pegged. Uh, they're pretty uh, much evergreen content, as we say in the biz, with foreign policy thought leaders and luminaries who discuss their life and career. I've had 52 of those conversations so far, and if you are a human rights, international development, international relations enthusiast, you should check out the robust archives on globaldispatchespodcast.com. You can subscribe for free on iTunes via our new app for your iPhone or Android, and pretty much anywhere podcasts are available. So check it out, and uh, happy perusing. Bye.